This is Always Remember The Mod State Podcast And now, your hosts Always Remember Others may hate you Those who hate you Alright ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to your one and only Mod State Podcast I got that late night FM DJ voice here but no before uh, i hit record you were just you're asking what beer i was drinking and uh it pretty much is the your run-of-the-mill voodoo ranger like ipa packs a little bit of a punch isn't horrible but as soon as it gets warm in this can i imagine i will not finish it but um good way to so have, is good it, way to have voodoo rangers what's that it's one of those ipas that doesn't make you gag with the beer flavor because that's the thing with higher alcohol content beers oh. to me is a lot of times like it just it hits the back of your throat, not in a good way. Yeah, it's they can be pretty. They can be pretty intense, and and the higher alcohol ones have that sort of ethanol weird flavor to it. <clears throat> and uh, this one's this one's okay. It's in that range. It definitely could be that way, but yeah, it's like I don't know. I'm I'm not a huge beer guy anymore. I used to be a, t- a huge beer guy, and I just I don't find them as quite as interesting as I think I. I don't think I actually found them interesting uh, in my 20s. <clears throat> I just thought I found them interesting. If I actually found them, in- if I actually thought they were interesting, I probably would have brewed my own beer. So I think it's just... That's a pain, though. I mean, and, and I say this, full caveat to folks listening, I, I criticize IPAs while I'm sipping gin, which I'm chasing with red wine. Oh, my God. So it, it's, it's, well, you saw it. I, I'm not criticizing IPAs. I thought it was like cranberry juice or something. I mean, it's a pretty thick cranberry juice, I suppose. Well, yeah. But, you know, and who carries cranberry juice in a goblet? Eh, fair. But, I mean, I it's nothing against IPAs. I just, I've had them before, and it's like the beer is just overwhelmed with this mm-hmm. this amount of alcohol that's not necessarily, you feel, meant to be there. Fair enough. I got it. Yeah, look, I... I just Jeez, wanted, yeah, I, I I wanted a beer tonight, and it was like, look, if I'm gonna drink empty calories, then I want a higher alcohol content. Quite frankly, so I'd rather not. While so, we're on the topic, yeah, oh yeah. While we're on the topic, I I got one for you. Okay, so as you know, President Biden announced that he would, it says, give a free bottle of Bud Light to anyone you know that would take the vaccine. Obviously, he personally wasn't handing out the beers, but that was the idea, right? The spirit. Okay, yes, the spirit of the thing. Well, not to be outdone, the next day, the president of Mexico, Abrador, announced that he would give a free bottle of Corona to anyone that would take the vaccine. The day after, Higgins of Ireland announced that he would be giving out a bottle of water if you would get the vaccine. A bit concerned and confused, President Biden and Obrador, they contacted the, uh, the uh, premier of Ireland and asked, well, we kind of figured, we expected that you would give out Guinness, you know, since you're being from Ireland and all. And the Irish premier replied, well, if you guys aren't giving away beer, then I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wow. There we go. That's good. I actually thought you were, I, I was really jogging my memory there for a second. I was like, when did Biden offer Bud Light. Did I miss something? Seems... We offered beer. Okay. Okay. Got it. <clears throat> well, I think Canada was actually in some places were handing out joints for people that uh, were getting because it's it's legal it's countrywide. So I 
I really should have gone there. But ah, it's I did good. not. Instead, I instead I just got a jab but, in the arm. And, all right, go away. I know, but great joke. I like it. It's a good way to kick it off. So uh, it's been about two weeks since uh, hopefully all of you have listened. Uh, but we are back. And before we get started, I'd like to thank all of our listeners, both international and national too. So whatever you have there, gin or red wine, I'll take this, this beer and we'll salute you. Thank you. Here, here. Thank you all for sticking around and uh, reinforcing uh, what it is we do. Exactly. We appreciate it very much. So, thank you very much. There's plenty that has, uh, that's been going on. I think a lot that's worth listening to, and I think is actually interesting and we'll dive into it. So I think instead of looking at our bizarre current events um i think we will talk majorly tonight about three topics um one i'd like to shout out to uh one of our listeners and oh my gosh i should go to podomatic and find out who it is um who asked us the next thing that we'd like to hear is, oh, yeah, who was that? <clears throat> uh the mask mandate you know what if you get on a, a talking rant at some point tonight i'll log in and see who it was but the thank talking you rant. <laughs> uh so I think the point is, I mean, you, you can check it in, in the meantime. I, I think the greater point is that it's very, it's, it's akin to what Jurgen Klinsmann said when he took over U.S. soccer. And I'm never loath to, to talk about the greatness of Jurgen Klinsmann, as you know. But when he took over uh, American soccer in 2011, when you and I were first stationed together in D.C., and all this criticism that was being leveled towards the United States men's soccer team. And he said, you know what that tells me? That tells me that people are now paying attention and they care. And I think that's, that's, that's a reasonable response, which maybe gave you enough time to. It did. So thank you. Um, so I'm going to probably butcher this. I know it's just a username, but it's Desir, um, D-S-I-E-U-R. So for any of you that are using Podomatic, you can log into those comments on each of the episodes. Um, there's a comment section on each of the episodes in Podomatic, and you can yes, yeah. you can just uh, go ahead and leave a comment there if you'd like. We had a number of them. What's the whole the name? Last. What's that? That's the whole name? Well, I'm sure it's a username, John. I'm sure that it's not their real name. Oh. But uh, <laughs> but we had some we had some really good uh, we had some really good shout outs and and we appreciate that Cassie who's out there uh, you're always posting and always uh, commenting so thank you there uh, I, I'm sorry I missed a few of you and but I'll get around tell us what we need to talk about and I'll call you out <clears throat> um, I kind of like it don't yeah, you it's great so we will talk about he uh, this individual would like us to talk about the mask mandate to mandate or not and so we'll i think we'll finish out the episode talking about that but the other two topics that we will um i think discuss a bit more in earnest is both the infrastructure bill but most importantly i think the the nancy pelosi move here that i i think will probably come back to bite them potentially um and then uh one that we weren't going to talk about, but I think we need to, and that is Afghanistan. Uh, as this sort of tide is turning at a rapid pace, uh, I think it'll be I'll be interested to hear your thoughts and some of other people from the veteran community. But <clears throat> before we get started on this, there are some current events that I think are worth noting at a, a smaller time slot. One would be that, oh my gosh, Haiti just had another 7.2 magnitude earthquake on top of the assassination of their, I mean, it's a little bit more geopolitical. I think both of these things are geopolitical, but like, oh my God, how, I mean, at like what point 
is does that take the top spot of like one of the most uh like horrific places on earth at the moment i mean it's like like you you look at mother nature and you're like pile on much the people get the president capped you got the supreme court of the nation allegedly involved on it you got paramilitary folks from outside countries including colombia and the united states and it's now and it's an earthquake and it's hurricane season get a load of this so my uh, you know it's my my heart really does kind of go out to that place it's it's just like one tragedy after another so um and then the second uh sort of more lighthearted but i don't know if it's lighthearted or not but i did because we talk about if there's any sport we talk about the most on on mod state it is it is soccer which is the global game it is the global game and I think it's worth noting that Lionel Messi is now going to PSG. And for so those of you, yep for, for those, yep, for those of you who have no idea uh, what we're talking about, the world's arguably one of the world's greatest soccer players or football players has been traded after 17 seasons uh, in Barcelona to uh, Pierre Saint Germain which you'd call in, in English, uh, which is in Paris. I actually had the pleasure of watching them play in um, a friendly in Detroit. What is, it, what is it? What is their nomenclature of Paris Saint-Germain? Probably very is that accurate? Closer. Pierre Saint. Pierre, I, I don't know. I'd have to ask my cousins. Regardless, my where Beckham wound up his career, definitely unfortunate <clears throat> to see him go. Um, yeah. They, they took some financial fallout, obviously, from um, the yeah. Rona. Yeah. So... I know that means probably very little to uh, maybe some American-based folks. I don't want to insult you. Maybe there's our our demographic is huge soccer players, but I'm sure if you're listening internationally, especially from France, as that's where a huge, at least the VPN or whatever, is out of France and Paris specifically. Y'all got it's got to be right. Y'all got to be pumped. That's all I've got to say. Is it's got to be a VPN, right? I guess I don't know. Like, I mean, I was in France in 2018, but I didn't amass a huge following when I was there. I just said, "Well, it isn't me." <laughs> Shit. Anyway, uh, Viva la France! Glad you're here. Good, yeah, good luck, PSG. If you're listening from France, God bless you, because <clears throat> there's no reason you can't win now. Well, yeah, if you're the manager, <laughs> if you're the manager, how would you? I mean, seriously, at this point, if you sneeze the wrong way, you've got Messi. I uh, know. Anyway, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I, it was a, it was a good summer for the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, bummer for Barcelona. I think they seriously mismanaged um, their, uh, given the, the constraints of the, the clubs there. But, you know, I guess learning perspective. But hey, learning a, a big shout out to Messi and Messi uh, for finally winning a, uh, an international title. That was great to see with Argentina. Yeah, well-deserved. Um, cool. So we, we got through that. Um, well, let's start. Let's start with <laughs> with that box check. That box check. On to the next. Um, let's let's um, let's start. Actually, I know we said infrastructure Afghanistan. I think we should start with Afghanistan because I don't think we have necessarily a ton to add. Um, other than you know, I think when when we met each other, we were stationed at Walter Reed. I had just come over from the old Walter Reed and which was the army facility. 
You know, from Georgia Avenue to Wisconsin Avenue. I know, we just cross state lines. And, I mean, ironically, it's all a round trip around the red line. Um, it's like, what, two miles? It wasn't that far, but if you had to take the red, if, if you took the red line in D.C. to get to work at Walter Reed, uh, the Army Center, uh, there was a potential that in order to get to the new place, if that was your mode of transportation, you had to go all the way around the southern uh, oh, part yeah. of the city and then all the way back up to Rockville. I forgot about that. And then you had to get off at Rockville. And you had you to just walk. Well, was it Metro Center or was it? It wasn't Rockville. No, it's definitely not Rockville. That was that's a wrong. Uh, it wasn't Shady Grove. It wasn't Rockville. It was Metro or what was the? It's been so long. It was Medical Center, right? That was the. I think it actually was called Medical Center Stop. And then you had to get out of Medical Center Stop. You had to go all the way up those big ass escalators, and then you had to go. Yeah, and then you had to go across the street, and then into the building. And so it was like for some people, it created like a ninety minute commute both ways. I mean, I guess they probably wanted to just walk. I don't know. It's hot as balls in DC during the summertime. Or cold. Or cold, <clears throat> one or the other. Um, anyway, um, detracting from the main point here. So when we, when we bracked, I mean, so when I first got there, we were taking care of wounded warriors that had come back at that time was from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and from over, then going over to Walter Reed as well, <clears throat> there was uh, the, or the new Walter Reed, the National Military Medical Center. We still had the, the honor to take care of those same folks. But, you know, I just think back to all those the, the soldiers, airmen, Marines, sailors, <clears throat> who, and then also DEA, FBI, like all the agencies that were involved um, taking care of, of State Department folks. I think watching Afghanistan, I think leaving Iraq was different. different. Like I remember um, there wasn't, I mean, obviously, several years later, it was quite a nightmare. But <clears throat> again, you would think that we might sort of learn from these situations. And to now see what's happening in Afghanistan, I, I think like my initial reaction, and again, this is, this is maybe prone to change, but you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer. And I'm not saying that what is happening right now is Biden's fault or <clears throat> that I am outraged and that it's disrespecting the 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 toll the life that was lost there and continues in some cases to just be devastated um in the veteran community but i i think there's i was trying to figure out like where's the silver lining here because it seems like everything is falling and and for current events i'm sure everyone's been abreast of this but i'm sure it will change even after this gets aired uh this episode gets aired that I mean, the Taliban are absolutely closing in on the main government centers in Afghanistan. There's been many provincial um, <clears throat> capitals that have been taken, and you know, there's there's a bit of me inside that's like, damn, like, ugh, it, it's it's a little sickening. But then the other half of me is like, well, what did you, what did we all think was actually going to happen, right? And I wanted to make sure that <clears throat> I. I tried to think back on what predictions or what I had brought up on podcasts ago. Maybe we actually didn't even talk about it um, because it had been a while since we had had a conversation and I think there was Taliban peace talks going on. But I'm sure somewhere I've noted that, you know, if we leave Afghanistan, they'll probably be like in an okay place because they have air superiority, et cetera. 
And at least that's what I thought. I was like, well, I guess I can take comfort in that theoretical assessment. But I think the reality is that that just absolutely has not been the case. And there's a good chance that, you know, there's predictions of nine, 60 to 90 days that cabal, that the, the government falls essentially. And I, I, I think my prediction now is that will happen much sooner. And, and I wonder, like, I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of skin in the game, even with the short time that I was in. I mean, I wasn't dictating policy, but you kind of wonder, like, damn, is this, like, how should I feel about this as a veteran? Like, how should I feel about the lives that we took care of, the lives that were kind of wrecked and, and not having this outcome? I mean, I realized that the Taliban wasn't <clears throat> in complete control <laughs> when we went in, and it's sort of like we're we're going back in, we're leaving it kind of the way we found it in a way. I mean, we succeeded with our mission of killing one of the most wanted men on planet earth, but like, what's our learning lesson here? And I think there's many of them, but I think today I'm just a little bummed out and, I, 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 but I I'm bummed out. Might... And you know, I'm bummed out. I just want to like, I'll be clear. You should be. I, I'm not bummed out as like at the mission in general. I think I'm a little bummed out at how it was like clearly mismanaged and I'm also bummed out that the Afghan government there couldn't get their shit together. And it, it, it almost seems like that place is a place that doesn't actually want to be governed the way that we think they should be governed, right? And, and maybe this was just was an eventuality and I didn't see it. And, but I mean, I'm not losing sleep over it, but it certainly is like... Ugh. Well, I assure you they are. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I look at it as a sort of unfortunate event. The men and women that I served with that went into combat would say it was a fortunate event that I got hurt both times before I could go into combat. Um, but I remember training those 1729 Palms, and they have actual, it's all live fire, and they have Afghan. American citizens that you know, occupy, they live in the villages that we train in out in the Mojave Desert. And at the time, this was 2013, 2014, this 16-year-old young man who was born in Afghanistan told me, he said, you know, if your country leaves my country, I can never go back. And it struck me at the time going, man, I... It's, it's an awful feeling. Now, I look at it now, but I'll read to the, I'll read to the listeners where I sent you earlier from uh, Mark Jacobson. This is uh, via Politico, a, a former Pentagon official and combat veteran who was a senior, senior NATO official in Afghanistan who said, we failed in trying to make the Afghan army in our own image. We tried to create regiments and brigades and we needed to create an army and police force that was basically special forces designed specifically to beat back an insurgency, not to defend the Afghan borders against outside conventional attacks. And it struck me as, as you and I were messaging earlier, I went, how? After 19, 20 years, with our prowess in training and technology, did we not grasp this? But then it hits me now, I'm going, did we ever want to? 
Because think about 2001. As horrible as the Taliban is, and I can say that with impunity, because as I asked you before, do you really think they're going to stick to their word and let little girls continue to go to school and seeking higher education? Do you really think they're going to let women continue to vote? I don't. Let's, uh, no. Uh, they already aren't. Right. Yeah. Okay. So social liberties, civil rights, specifically of women and little girls, if anybody cares, they're going to go by the wayside. But when the Taliban did taking control of the country, we first went in in 01, the poppy trade had quite literally been burned to the ground. Non-existent. Fast forward two years. But further than that, when the trade expanded, by all means, feel free to get on Google image, Bing image, whatever, and search U.S. Marines patrolling poppy fields. Well, there's, and then, there's the I, wheat field ones, too. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Wheat's not as big of a concern, though. True. So then you've got you know, Marines that I served with who will remain nameless saying, oh, yeah, you have C-117s coming down and guys with black suits, black tie, white dress shirt, loading up these bins, and then carry the four and... What drug problem did we develop in America? Oh, wait, an opioid problem. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to Freeway Rick Ross in the 1980s and the cocaine pandemic epidemic during, uh, what was the uh, Sandinistas? Am I wrong? Look. You're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, but I don't know if you're right. So I'm just going to take the diplomatic. It, it, look, everything you said is absolutely true up until the one thing that I absolutely can't verify. But the CIA did allow the cocaine trade to happen in the United States. I think that's fairly factual. So I'm not saying it's, it's impossible. I'm not saying it's I'll impossible. The only reason they're not going to cap my ass it is because I'm not big enough yet that they're going to worry about making a mortar out of me. So I'll back off, but I'm just fair enough. That's a very big coincidence. All right. Interesting. Um, well, not the way you wanted to go with this. I know No, that's okay. We, we need to, I need some allure and curiosity and, uh, well, in this episode, but come on, man. look, what, what I can say, at least from, <clears throat> uh, what I can acknowledge is like, you're absolutely right. There was, <clears throat> I mean, that's where a huge portion of European heroin came from. And that really didn't happen quite at the same frequency as it did until we kind of cleaned up Afghanistan the way we thought it should be. And, and that stuff happened now. Yeah. The trade was dead before we got yeah. there. So. And we've had a drug problem an opioid drug problem in this country that exploded after that invasion. Like you do the math. Well, yeah, but there's that whole Sackler thing too, where they're pushing Oxycontin. Heroin, okay. heroin, heroin is a drug after you use pain pills, John. Come on, Oxycontin is synthetic heroin. I know. Well, but you don't, you don't have to use the poppies to make synthetic heroin, right? Right, fentanyl, you don't either. You're right. But that's why they just manufacture. I get maybe it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You could be. 
but you could be right. I don't know. One night we could be doing this podcast and all of a sudden you see a flush of pink red on this screen. I'm like, well, guess the CI had enough John. Oh, John. Um, well, <laughs> anyway, so, so he, I encourage you all to read Sigar, S-I-G-A-R, uh, the Special Inspector General of Afghanistan Reconstruction, their report. It's pretty depressing, but at least you know what your tax dollars allegedly went to. Do, do you feel like um, that maybe this last 20 years that we, we kind of had only one military genius and we sort of, I don't want to say wasted it, but like, for example, let me, let me walk through Which this. one? Um, so in this generation of from Iraq to Afghanistan into 2021, so 2001 to 2021. Aside from Donald Rumsfeld? No, the, so for example, uh, in all of his shame from what he got in trouble for, David Petraeus, general, retired General Petraeus, rewrote the Urban Warfare Manual um, in Mount. Iraq. In Iraq, Mount, exactly. So um, obviously he's had some issues moving forward in his career after his retirement, but <clears throat> the credit due where credit's due. General Petraeus actually rewrote how to engage in urban warfare, and that stemmed from uh, the Iraq invasion. When they so people remember like Mosul, Fallujah is a huge one. <clears throat> All these places where they really rewrote the manual. So you can imagine the last time it was written, it like like when I prepared uh, in the military, a lot and a lot of the training was. It felt like it was sort of surrounded. Uh, or it was the context was like jungle warfare, like long lines of platoons and uh, L-shaped ambushes. It was just very uh, like unlike you would be fighting door to door in a city. Like cadets weren't doing mount training uh, that came after you did branch selection and branch details. But the point being, this guy rewrote the manual on the fly. And I wonder if like that was the one sort of genius that we had that helped us get through urban warfare, but we didn't have the sort of like nation building general, <clears throat> like I think who, that was supposed to be, uh, what's his face that they wrote a movie on, uh, that Brad Pitt played, um, a number of these guys that, that came through that really were supposed to be the next guy that was going to have the right solution to Afghanistan but they really weren't at that like Petraeus level of creative in terms of how. Now, I, I think one thing I want to point out is that I think trying to rewrite the manual for urban warfare is probably a lot easier than it is to figure out how to effectively nation build. Um, I think it's a sort of an apples to oranges comparison. But I still think that maybe we just had that once in a generation mind that could come up with the, re the rewriting of urban warfare or like maybe the development of urban warfare with a given technology, but we didn't have the mind that was like, Hey, we need regional, we need regional uh, coordinators. We need regional allies. We need regional partners. We need to re-envision um, what conventional military looks like in Afghanistan. And it doesn't have to be in the form of, but that takes some balls, dude. Like that takes some cojones. I was about to say, I don't think, and that's, I don't mean you, I don't think the royal you wants to hear an answer to that. Okay, I, it, it, it's not pretty. But guess what? There's no app. There's no hack for this. There's no 
what's a hack for cleaning your teeth? What's a, a hack for, you know, scrubbing your dog without getting your hands dirty? I'm sure there's articles about this. There's not. Okay, it's 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 akin to the dark night, which I know is okay to use, but when there's this story, we've talked about this before, where Alfred he tells Bruce Wayne, look, there was this this guy that we were trading with when he was in the you know the British special forces and I think it was India or Pakistan, but he said we couldn't figure out why this guy was raiding these caravans. And then just throwing these these emeralds, these precious jewels away. Because one day they, we found a, a child that was holding a, a a ruby the size of a tangerine, you know, and he had just been throwing them away. And Bruce Wayne asked him, he's like, "Well, so why steal why steal the jewels?" And he said, "Because he thought it was good sport, you know." And he said, "Some men just want to watch the world burn." So fast forward a little bit, and Bruce Wayne asked him, did you ever catch him, the bandit? And he said, yeah, we burned down the forest. And that's where this comes into, you know, beating Russia. Napoleon and the French Empire, they had every capability of wiping the floor with that empire. But they couldn't fathom an army that, that subsisted off of speed and gaining supplies that went along, they couldn't fathom when they got to Moscow an opponent that would burn down their own civilization in order to deny the enemy control. The French couldn't comprehend that. And I mean, I quite frankly can't. And that's what we didn't. You referenced Fallujah. First, Fallujah was a disaster, and not because the army was doing it, but because the army, the U.S. Army, is an occupational force. It's not a. It's not stormtroopers. Second Fallujah was different because we sent in the stormtroopers, Marines and FMF corpsmen, not because they're better, but they're not an occupational force. You know what they did? They dropped flyers, forty-eight hours before, in over forty languages, and said anybody who is not a combatant and their vehicles need to be gone. And then two days later. Anything with wheels got blown up. Anybody walking around was killed, and we won the day. That's not pretty, and again, there's no app for that. There's no hack for that. That's the way the game's played. Otherwise, you don't go to war. That's why I maintain, no, move nukes from it. Remove chemical warfare, anything like that. State on state, no. I don't think we could beat Russia. Because they don't have lawyers peering over their shoulders. We're not prepared to win that kind of war. But that's the reality is, you want to win? You fight the way we did second Fallujah. And we won. But Donald Rumsfeld had the idea of, hey, we split the country into thirds. And the Kurds stay here, the Shias, Sunnis here. But nobody wanted to hear that. Well, so my answer is, then don't play. It's not pretty, and I'm not advocating that, but you need to be prepared. You want to go, you want to go beat a Russian-backed state? You want to fight in the trenches like that? Well, I mean, then it's, be prepared to fight on their terms. It's actually, and I love all this kind of history we've been talking about because it's... 
It's ugly. You know, the first generals that went into Afghanistan were retired by the time it's over, right? And which means that their their closeness and proximity to history would have been much closer than the generals that came after them, meaning they would have known the history of Afghanistan even better than some of you know the people that were coming up because they lived it and they were around it. And especially the, the State Department and CIA that had developed networks in that area and watched Russia abysmally fail to expand their empire in Afghanistan, but also keep their presence and their mark there, that it sort of wasn't taken into account. It wasn't, uh, it, I don't know, it, it, or maybe it's just because it took so long that the mission didn't change in time, right? Or I just don't know. I think that paragraph said it best. Yeah, you're we right. Thought, we thought about preparing Afghanistan for the perspective of they need to be prepared for out, outside invasion. We should have known better because who's thought to invade Afghanistan? <laughs> Russia and America. Nobody. Like no regional powers. They're like, go ahead. Have it. Pakistan could give two shits. Iran does yeah. not care to invade. They just like I mean, destabilization. That's it. Yeah, I mean, we, we were right to prop up Musharraf. I mean, the dictator of, of Pakistan. Because some of these countries, they don't want representative democracy, federal republic, whichever way you want to put it. And we can't grasp that as people any more than Napoleon could and, grasp you know, for, a country so, that would burn down their own cities. Yeah, from like a so from like a, a world history perspective or like maybe even just you could think back as far as ancient Mesopotamia, right? I mean, there's not a lot of written deep, deep written history in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. They just didn't. just go back to Napoleon. The one battle the Russians actually <laughs> fought him in, Borodino, yeah. he mopped the floor with them. Yeah. But the further, the Russians had this idea, think about that. We can't fathom this as Americans or Frenchmen. The Russians went, okay, if we flee and burn down every damn city on the way, they're going to keep pursuing. We can't fathom that. You'd rather destroy your own mm -hmm. civilization than grant your enemy yeah. control. Well, I... I... <laughs> How sadistic is that? Yeah, I think... I just think of... Play, I, I, guess, I guess... Okay, so from like a deep history perspective for me, the idea of Af, like the Afghanistan... Like so, so Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq. It was, uh, it wasn't for a long time. Has been very tribal. It's been very regional. It's been, and to, I, I just think sometimes that maybe, and from from a historical context, me saying like maybe there's just places in the world that democracy just won't be as successful. Uh, that makes sense from like a historical context for me to be like, okay, yeah, that's completely reasonable. Maybe this place is not ready for democracy yet. It sounds but then, pretty bad from a but, humanitarian perspective. Right, but from like the current day 2021 um, patriot, uh, democracy lover, liberty, uh, even under like uh, a weird, a like, and like a weirdly religious veil, that seems so horrible to, As a to say. The entire thing. As a Think about those little girls. <clears throat> like it sounds horrific. It, it's and so there's that cognitive dissonance that's that's lobbing around in my head between these two perspectives. 
it's like, well, maybe it is what it is, but then also like, oh my God, how can you believe it is what it is? This place should be begging for democracy. Remember Afghanistan in the fifties when hippies would go and the Beatles were there. I'm like, dude, there's nothing more like for that I want for Afghanistan to be like the 1950s where hippies went and they went from India, the, the, the Hindu Kush in Pakistan and India. And it was the trail of love. Like that was a beautiful time in Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Um, but maybe it's sort of like a short lived time in their, in the historical context, but it just doesn't, it, it doesn't compute in my head. Well, it's, it's very tough. That's where anarcho-capitalists like my brother, which this is kind of confusing for him to espouse, but I speak for him here simply because I know verbatim he would say this worry here. Let's add another star to the flag. If we're, hear him out here. Okay. If you're going to nation build, then by God, do it. X would have deleted, let's nation build. So you the sword of the flag, and we go in there, and by God, no. You touch the hair of a head on an ally or one of our citizens, which these people now are, you will suffer. Think about it. That's an interesting perspective. I have actually, <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Well, uh, that, I mean, we're talking about a criminal justice major. That's, that's his way of thinking about this. You know, he's so just he's, go in and commit wholesale. You are now, yes. I mean, it's very, it's very like colonial. Not settler. colonized. I want to be clear. He does not want to colonize. Colonize. <laughs> colonize. His perspective is, no, if we are going to nation build, Let it be. then Afghanistan is an American state. You are our people. We are your people. You know, like the Hebrew wedding vows. My people shall become your people. Your people shall become mine. No. The Afghanis are now the 51st state. Or don't go. Or don't let, it, not or don't let it be the mission. Or don't let it be the mission. Then don't say you're going to nation build. Got it. Right. His perspective is not to make them subservient. I want to be clear here. His point is, if we're going to put our little darlings on the line to get blown in half, then no. You are part of us and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to go... We're doing then let's go. All right. Um, I'm not saying he's wrong. No, it's, a, it's very interesting. Very interesting. I have to stew on that for a little bit. Um, well, before we move on, uh, okay. Move on. We, wait, wait. We, we're gonna, uh, Afghanistan should feel special. We've been here for uh, three times as long as we, we intended to be. I know. Um, anyway, I think, again, my, my kind of initial reaction is disappointment with the, uh, the Iraqi government for All right. kind of getting so together. Before we transition, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you. And oh, damn. I was going to ask you something. Now you're asking me something. You go ahead. I was going to say, okay, Guam, Puerto Rico, D.C., states or not states? Guam and Puerto Rico, yes. Okay. All right. Now you ask DC. me. Well, D.C., if you move there, you know what you're getting into. It's not a state. If you want to vote, move to Maryland or Virginia. Okay. Next. Um, with regard to Afghanistan. I get it. President Biden inherited a less than positive situation. Do less you than, think he less than ideal situation? Okay. Okay, what about it? Is it right to say no matter what? Barnum I mean September 11th doesn't even mean anything as a deadline. I mean, we've already seated over half the country now. Mm-hmm. Do you think he was right? 
not based on geopolitics. I'm saying like Nate Wellon, do you think he was right? Like the decision to pull out in like pull out in general or pull the out status quo. It, you think he was right? Um, I'm not asking like party line geopolitics. No, no, I got I'm you. Doing... Like in his heart, this was the right thing. I think that again, no, I'm not. I'm not even asking you. Did he mean the right thing? I don't doubt the president's intentions. Yeah. I'm not saying that okay, he's okay. malicious. Okay. So was it the right thing? Um, no. I'm going to say that I think Biden is not an Afghanistan expert. And I think he pushed his team, possibly. Maybe there was some yes-men mentality. Maybe he got bad assessments. Maybe they just based it all on theory. Maybe everyone was exhausted and just took the Taliban at their word. But I think, I think that this wasn't quite the right move. But I can Monday morning quarterback that. And I imagine that the president of the United States is actually losing sleep over what's happening right now. And I, I think you're right there on that point. I don't, think, I don't think President Biden's a bad man. But let me ask you this. And, and, and I'm not saying this again. Folks that are new to us, you might hear, oh, a Nixon Republican, of course, he's going to attack. That's not the way this is. And if you stick around, you're going to find out, especially if you listen to our back catalog. I called balls and strikes on Trump, President Trump, like I do now. Okay. But do you really think he got strong armed? Do you really think he wasn't aware of, I mean, if I'm aware the vice president under President Obama that I shook hands with, not once but twice, do you really think that he took the Taliban, the same Taliban from the 80s, at their word, little girls will be allowed to go to school, women will be allowed to vote, do you think he believed them? Well, Or was it just, you know what, their problem? I think, I think probably, John, it was a combination of the two, right? Like, okay, that's there, was, fair. there was some urgency there. And maybe there, like, I didn't sit on the negotiations. Maybe those negotiations seemed in, like, really good faith. You know, you never know what levers are being pushed. Like, I know, good faith in the Taliban? Well, I, I get it. But, like, you know, at some point, you may have to, like, take a leap of, dare I say, faith, right? That maybe we're all exhausted. That place has been in at war 20 years longer than well, and, and right? the American people, simply the American people. Sim this is the same situation. People dislike calling this a, a comparison to Vietnam, but it really is in a sense that the American people just like why we didn't go into Syria full fledged after the red line of President Obama's own admission. The American people aren't willing to put up the numbers for war anymore. Yeah. Well, so I think but, said, Look, but those those numbers are different. Like it's not really a body's number, right? Because that's not, the point. That's not it's, the, it's it's money numbers, right? And, and and I think that's absolutely right. I think the climate in America today is we're dealing with equity if and not now, when? Exactly. And Biden was put in between a rock and a hard place. And I think he probably got he either got yes men or he got people that really weren't telling the whole story. Or maybe he just pushed his team to say, What can we do? And they were like, yep, let's yeah. do it. Let's get it the done. Secretary Blinken's not an idiot. Okay. Blinken's not an idiot. The folks that he has on his crew are not idiots. The, there's no still... idiots in the CIA. There's not idiots at the DOD or the DIA. 
They're not idiots. He didn't get bad intelligence. I think he kind of like balanced it out. And he's like, look, enough. what are we going to do? We're going to do it because if we need to, if th- that assessment came across his table and it said, look, we need to completely change this. We need to just flip the script. Then he's going to ask this question. He goes, okay, how much time and how much money? And they're going to be exactly. like another 20 years and another $5 trillion. Right. And they were and like, no, nope, political pull, article I sent you pulled the, the undersecretary. Right. The undersecretary of defense and that's under Trump, that same political article I sent to you said, okay, so the Afghanistan, the A&A, Afghan National Army is going to be that much more prepared in a year versus the last 19. Yeah, exactly. And I think, so I, 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 grasp I, think it. I think it's going to look bad. It'll look bad politically. It will. But look, I mean, I think it's kind of a bipartisan feeling that we needed to be out of there. And we'll have to, but, but you know what? I think the United States can reasonably go back to like the UN and NATO and be like, you know what? Y'all do something. I mean, like there were bad guys there and they were targeting all of us. Let the French go in. So like if if you guys have a better solution, go for it. Let the French go in. They'll go. (laughs) I mean, they're in some hell holes. Jesus. Well, they're in Mali. Speaking of infrastructure. um, Whoa. Oh. (laughs) Yikes. Okay. That was good. Wow. I saw your face there. You were like, you stopped, you thought about it, and you're like, yeah, that was good. But then you were like, damn, this is recorded. Um uh, <laughs> That was good, but yeah, rough. Go so, ahead. Uh, At least you did it. Yeah, that's true. I deserve it. <laughs> um all right, so let's we've got two things to talk about. I think and and I and we've I, I certainly love this, but I don't know that we have to spend as much time on this. But I think it's certainly interesting. We talked about infrastructure in the last episode. Yeah, this is easier. But yes, it is. Uh, but from you know, so for those of you who are newly listening, John leans a little bit more right. I lean a bit, a little bit more left. But we, for the most what? part, what? Uh, for the you most, do? for the most part, I think we agree on much more than we disagree with. Um, we always agree on the solution. We, or excuse me, always agree on the end game, but we never really necessarily always agree on the sort of solution to get to the, to the end point. So um, infrastructure, I, I, I think we have set our piece on it. We, uh, for, for context, it's the, it's the middle of August, and at this juncture, the Senate has finally agreed and voted on uh, some sort of package for infrastructure. And now going back in, in the way the American system works, when one house or one party passes, not party, that's a horrible way to describe it, but when either the Senate or the Congress pass a bill, it needs to go back to the the other house to get sort of ratified and it needs to pass both. And so when it goes to the next, if it goes to the, the house or it goes to the Senate, then they get a chance to sort of add amendments and vote on it. And then it gets, it, then it goes to the president for a signature. So there's this very, it's a, it's, so there's a there's an ability at a very high strategic level to pull some levers or withhold things uh, to be able to play uh, like maybe the next bill. Uh, it, it's very political. It's very house of cards. It's very interesting. And I think this is why we want to talk about it because we haven't had a chance to talk about something like this in a long time. So currently, the Senate, finally, this gang of 1,000, 10, whatever, uh, this bipartisan group of people that Biden put together, uh, finally drafted a bill that came to the Senate floor, and it was so popular that even Mitch McConnell voted for it. And now 
it gets kicked back to Congress uh, or the, the House of Representatives. So what people need to understand, and our listeners are some of the smartest listeners on planet Earth, and even both international and national, and the, the thing that's interesting here is that the Democrats would like to pass another round of spending under the guise of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation works by not needing the sort of 60% majority uh, of the entire Senate. They actually only need 51 votes. They need the simplest of majorities. The simplest of majorities. Now, what they want to do with this reconciliation bill is basically everything else that they wanted to do in the infrastructure bill that didn't get put in. And that amasses to an additional roughly $3.5 trillion with the team. Now, what's happening is Nancy Pelosi, and please keep me honest here, Nancy Pelosi, the majority leader, Speaker of the House, is now going to hold up any sort of vote, amendments, or any discussion of the current infrastructure bill unless she gets some sort of guarantee that the reconciliation bill of the additional $3.5 trillion worth of spending gets its moment in the Senate. Now enters the conversation. Good move or bad move? All right, so you didn't even have to get, I didn't even have to get to the end. First off, I felt like I explained that pretty well. Um, So I want to give myself kudos. But I didn't even have to ask the question. You're telling me it's a mistake. I tend to agree with you, but tell me why. And I, I say this from a nonpartisan perspective, but let's let's get done what we can get done. But basically what Speaker Pelosi, Democrat from California, has said is that if we can't have both items in the basket, well then let's just fling the basket out. I feel that's a tactical mistake. Number one, you've you've made a priority of the American people. Yeah, you called it a tactical error. Right. Right. Yeah. You've called it a win for the taxpayer. You've called it a win for the American people. So why then wouldn't you take the minuscule quote win of what, a one trillion dollar is it? One ish? Uh, one I thought it was like one point five, but you know Okay, but okay. Splitting Fine. hairs at one point five trillion. <laughs> right. So it's it's a win on this amount, but you're not gonna accept either unless both happen. And I <coughs> excuse me. I think tactically that's a mistake because she's putting a portion, a significant portion of her caucus in danger because of Democrats in purple districts, vulnerable Democrats that are now going, okay, but what about the fact that not everybody's on board with $5 trillion combined, we're saying, in new spending? And that's where things have gotten really interesting because of Senator Joe Manchin in West Virginia, which I think you would like to take back over there. Um, You've got some commentary there. Well, uh, no, you know, I had more, I had more anger towards Joe Manchin. Uh, you know, I think when Joe Manchin became more popular, right? So that when the election happened and the Democrats had a majority and Joe Biden was the president, uh, became the president. Um, you know, I was, I was more bummed out by him. But one thing I have come to, I think, understand a bit more is I, I understand his position. I understand 
where he needs to, uh, where why he's being political the way he is and why he needs to be that way from a political standpoint. So, but there's a lot about what there's a lot of things I disagree with. Sort of the governance of West Virginia and and what their representatives could do for the people of West Virginia, but I can't speak to the heart of West Virginians. They are, they're different from Coloradans. They're different from Michiganders, but you would it's like a different to breed. Let me assure you. I, I, yeah. I mean, you would know more than I would. Uh, well, but, I didn't mean it like that. No, I'm just but, saying they're, but what they're are different? Yes. But what, I mean, and they're different from New Orleaners uh, are different from Louisianans, right? Like they are their own people. And, but I think, the one thing that I think maybe bums me out a little bit about the guy is he's so well respected in that state and has been such a leader. You in think that he state. could do more? He, he could push the narrative politically, right? Uh, I think that he could be a champion of green, uh, renewable resources. I think he could find a lot of jobs for West Virginians. I think he could persuade a ton of West Virginians to get on board with something a little bit more progressive than what they espouse. And what would that look like? And I'm asking you, I'm not being snarky. No, I, I'm saying this from the perspective of, let's well, say, I mean, like, Steve Scalise is not going to lose his house race in uh, South Louisiana, my district, with all the money in the world. You can forget it. Yeah. But let's say, let's say Jonathan Devenny, let's say Jack Devenny was the representative from HR1. Mm-hmm. District 1 in, in Louisiana, which is Metairie, parts of a very small sliver of New Orleans, but Jefferson, et cetera, Slidell. What would you like as a Republican? Let's say I was in that spot. And you're like, Jack, you could do more. Okay. What does that look like? Okay. Well, so let me pull my parallels from West Virginia down to Slidell. I certainly can, uh, Metairie's, it's not the same, but yeah. Okay. But so let me, let it, me just, it's here. red territory. Okay. So I think that I imagine that the region that you're talking about district one in Louisiana, uh, has been plagued with a lot of the same, at least Slidell certainly has, I can speak for that. That Sl- Slidell, Louisiana has been uh, an unfortunate by, uh, an an unfortunate victim. The the constituents of those districts, as well as as uh, West Virginia, have been victims of a horrific uh, heroin or opiate epidemic. Okay, and I think that both those regions, probably more Slidell than Metairie, uh, can draw parallels to a place like. A place, any place in West Virginia that has a change in like manufacturing or a change in uh, market need and demand for specific businesses that are there. Okay, so you know it, you don't have to be Democratic or Republican to realize that you know we could be less quote unquote conservative and and really sort of take some risks on and address some of some some very pressing issues. At the same time, so for example, climate change. You don't have to be political to be like, listen, uh, we're gonna have to take a bold risk. We really do, from a business perspective, market demand for coal is going away, or market demand for oil in Slidell, Louisiana. I'll just say it's an oil town. Um, you know, this is sort of waning. So we need to 
someone needs to be the person that's going to make the pivot here. Someone needs to make the bold move to pivot industry and bring along their constituents. Okay. But that's not, so I'm going to pause there and say, that's not necessarily happening with people like Joe Manchin. It isn't necessarily happening with more conservative type leaders. And it's not, it's not an indictment on them. They are conservative. Conservative comes with a natural skepticism and a healthy skepticism to change. But there is going to be a moment like sort of like President Joe Biden's current moment in Afghanistan where someone is going to just have to do it. And it could be a Republican or it could be a Democrat or it could be anyone who's elected into office, but someone's going to have to do it. And if the person that does it and is successful is going to be written down in history and have a legacy as the person that had the balls to do it. And everyone preceding that will be the fools that should have done it earlier. And so I'm not, it's not all about legacy, but it's also about it, the constituency. And if you're so loved like a Scalise or you're so loved like a mansion, you're in the position to make a bold move. And you're, if you have, if you have good leadership, That's you, a good can, point. you can move the constituency with you and they can fully reap the benefits of your when you, boldness. When you carry that respect, exactly. at the very least, you can have them say, all right, look, you can say to them, look, I, I get it, but hear me out here. You know, they, they, they have that respect. You make a good, so, good point and that's, that's That's also like leadership, leadership. One, if you have that respect, you have that. He was the governor of West Virginia, for God's sakes. Like he's held the highest office of the state, and now he's a senator. This guy has so much I respect influence. respect the man. Sure. This I guy, met him. He's a little gruff at times. But, but this guy has the attention of West Virginians. And if he could just be like, listen, listen, y'all are got to come along for the ride. But climate change is real. And the industries that we've supported for years are waning and dying, and we need to pivot. And I'm going to bring everyone along. We're going to do this together. He could, he could, he could have West. I mean, that guy could do it. You don't mean to tell me that Joe Manchin doesn't have political, uh, like presidential aspirations. This guy is a born leader, but well, he, look, he doesn't have the balls to just do I'm it. I'm not going to say he doesn't. I'm not going to say I mean, he he's doesn't. not doing it. He could, he could well, be, a, he could be a. Fucking, I'm not going to speak for the. Senator. He could be a hero right now, bro. He could, but to which side? You know that. You know that's how it is right now. He's going right. to be a hero to one, a villain to another. Sure, but the okay. hero in this but, situation certainly would be making the right choice for West Virginians. Correct. Um, this is where the song remains the same for me between um, climate change and say. Um, public safety, oh, public okay. health. Okay. Oh, interesting. We're making this pivot. Well, well, before, I think it's effective. Okay. Before, ahead, before we do the pivot, uh, outcome of it. I'm making a pivot. It's well, like a you, two five. Okay. You were almost there. So I see we're, we're, well, you, you go ahead. You we're, go ahead. We're, we're creating brackish water right now and I like it. So, uh, okay. So Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we the, the we started this and we ended with Joe Manchin, but the whole bring point her is, into it. Well, but we talked about is this a tactical error? And you said yes, it's a tactical error. Um, yeah. Do you think her ego overrides this entire thing, or do you think oh, she well, just passes? Here. Hold on a second. If she was a male leader, they would say she's forceful, she's fearless. 
Oh, John. In spite of her critics, but because she's a woman, then she gets this, oh, she's an ice queen. She's tone deaf. So as a feminist myself, and I'm not saying this to be snarky, you know me. Okay, so let, let's, let's bear that with a grain of salt, okay? Because men don't get the same criticism. Okay, John Boehner didn't get the same criticisms. They talk about Nancy Pelosi having a $10,000 bar on her jet. Okay, and how, how much money was in John Boehner's bar? Okay, so I, that sounds silly, but I've got to throw that out there because women don't get that level playing field. John, how are you not married? Jesus. This man. I'm just being real. You just had, you. oh my gosh. That was great. I'm being serious. Like the, my brother and I have talked about this. The idea that some of the criticisms that women face, and I'm going, men never face those. It's true. Oh, he's forceful. <laughs> You're absolutely he, right. He's he's a he's out in front. He's a hard nosed leader. That's what they called Winston Churchill. But Margaret Thatcher, oh, she's the Iron Lady. Like, are you serious? I, I, you're, I, you're, I don't disagree with you at all. So, so well, okay, I so, do. So, okay, so totally great. Before Everything. You got me sidetracked on love, feminism. Love we that. About I love all of that. I love it. I love it. Although, so from a tactical perspective and a strategic perspective, do you think, that, <laughs> do, you, do you think, I, God bless you. I mean, you're, you're, so do you think her ego gets in the way and, and she, she that, holds her ground or do you think she sort of tactfully, strategically pivots and then passes it? Because, I mean, she's not going to just give up and make it her look weak, but or flip floppy. I mean, she's going to do something that makes it seem like, oh, it was her idea to go ahead and do this. It was like, we should, you're right. We in should answer just do to your this. query. In answer to your query, the reason I got off on that is because, yes, I do feel a certain amount of her ego comes into play. However, we're talking about a politician. If you don't believe in yourself, don't step on the field. I don't care whether you're male or female or whatever. Okay. So that, that doesn't matter to me personally. My belief is that there will be a deal made because with the second infrastructure bill, uh, Speaker Pelosi is not a moron. She's going to go, okay, I'd rather get something done. And so as we talked about precast, I could foresee the second infrastructure bill via reconciliation because it, at this point, if Senator Manchin is opposing 3.5, so will uh, Senator Cinema. So I'm going to say 2.5 to 2.7 because the, the national debt nearing 30 trillion is a problem. And that's another conversation. Yes. I see the speaker being rational and there being a deal. They're oh. going to take it to the 11th hour, just like folks out there that are worried about the whole the debt ceiling. Federal law prescribes, requires that the debt ceiling be raised. This is not a discussion. This is not a debate. It shall be raised. Just like, you know, a Supreme Court justice shall be heard by the Senate. Only the difference here is, well, we can't spend no more money. Mm. Okay, so Senator McConnell mm. and so, that issue. So I'm gonna rein you back in. I'm gonna rein you back in. You're going on the debt ceiling talk. Let's come back in. Well, but I, you see what it, I'm getting I at? I get though. it. I totally get it. Look. So with um, that, I but, think but she'll, she'll come to okay. the middle. It is. It is. I, I agree. I think that probably will happen because you started this feminism I, I, thing. Uh, what? No, I didn't. Um, Askins 
about Speaker Pelosi. What you got I, me started. What I what I mean is, I think there will. I think what will happen. What you're saying will will happen exactly because uh, because I think there's enough out there already from GOP leaders where they say like, this is a once in a lifetime thing. We have to actually do it. Like this does have to happen. It's just, it was a matter of like, how does it actually happen? And you've got too much of the top brass GOP leadership that are willing to just spend the money to get it done. Look, we all know the debt ceiling and deficits only matter when you're in power, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a stupid I mean, it's, you know, there's no principality behind I, management. I, I care about it regardless. <laughs> I, I realize that, but. But the people in power only care about it when, when the they're other in power. Is, when the other part is in power. Exactly. And it's, it's ridiculous. Mitch McConnell's like, well, the president said, and he sounds like, you know, Herbert the pervert or whatever, yeah. but, you know. I got a I will get tied to my day. Day. <laughs> Jesus. I, I mean, I will give him props. He's, he's yeah. pro- Vaccine. Yeah, but he's pro. Okay. Who, McConnell? <laughs> Piss off, you old freak. <laughs> what, did I mean, you I'll just, give him that. Okay. Did you just say the McConnell was pro-vaccine? Well, yeah, you didn't read the CNN article I sent you? Oh, no, no I, I did. Just kind of a bummer he wasn't earlier. But anyway, let's move on to... Uh, what's the last one? Oh, infrastructure. I yeah, think we're all... S I U E. I am totally butchering that now, but we have uh, a listener that wanted us to uh, uh, scared of mats. Wanted us to touch base on mandates, max uh, mask mandates, and uh, I'm going to let you take this one. Okay, well, I've already been the feminist. I've angered you know. So at least our our me. listener, Desir D S I E U R. I appreciate this. I appreciate this, uh, this question. And I think b- before we dive into this in this latter part of this podcast, I want to acknowledge that I think there was a lot of tension around all, the earlier this year between you and I uh, discussing masks and, and discussing – none of us were like anti-mask or any of that, but just the, the, the vaccine, the rollout, the insurrection. Like there was just so much stuff going on. And we are officially in this phase of the COVID journey where the Delta variant is very much rampant and it is decimating Southern states as we speak and, uh, and Western states like Nevada. So to, <laughs> where you're headed. <sighs> yeah. Uh, where I'm headed. Where we're all where headed. headed. Yep. Yeah, someone's headed. Um, everybody heads to Las Vegas at some point. That's so, the point. So you I think, judge me. yeah, so I think <clears throat> we're, we're at a different, we're at a different point, um, in the, the pandemic where I think it is actually fair to call this a pandemic now of the unvaccinated. And I, I realize that at a global level that shouldn't be very negative because there's a lot of countries that just can't get, doesn't have the capital to pay for vaccines. But at a national level, it really is a bit more negative in terms of this is now the pandemic of the unvaccinated. And it is, what does that mean? It is, it means that the majority of the current death rate and 
also the uh, the infection rate in general, but mostly really the death rate at this point and the hospitalization rate is overwhelmingly that of unvaccinated individuals. So what would you say about folks that have been vaccinated that get infected? Um, well, as I mean, an ICU nurse yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, so, I mean, full disclosure, my father uh, is is vaccinated. I don't think he would care. My father's actually been on this. I, I did a uh, an interview of my dad. It was the anniversary of the 1967 riots, and he you know, grew you up. should come back on. Grew, in, grew up in Detroit. Um, my father and mother were both fully vaccinated, and uh, someone in my uh, – well, anyway, my father uh, contracted COVID and was very much ill for – I mean, very ill – for a number of days, it was kind of touch and go. I mean, he not touch and go in context of like not to the hospital or not to the hospital, not life or death in the hospital. And, and he was very sick and he's now recovering. He's doing fine, but I am fully convinced and every medical person around me is fully convinced that if he was unvaccinated, he would either be on a ventilator or dead at this moment. And I'm, I'm pretty comfortable making that call. So in other words, just... I want to read yep. through this here. In other words, a vaccine is not a guarantee, but it will mitigate the more <laughs> severe circumstances. It will absolutely. It, so it does not protect you 100%, and it was never designed that way to protect you 100% from COVID. But what it does is it massively, ma- exponentially decreases like long-term symptoms, long-term issues, and... Uh, and protects you in the short term from the severity of the disease. It doesn't, what we're finding actually now is that uh, the, the amount of virus that you get and the amount of virus that you give is actually the same whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, which should lead to the logical conclusion that the vaccine absolutely protects. If you're getting the same viral load as someone as unvaccinated, it, and it's protecting you and keeping you out of the hospital. And more importantly, the death rate is 99% those who are unvaccinated, only 1%, and I'm being generous, only 1% of vaccinated folks are, are dying from COVID. So what do, you, what do you think of the statistics out of the, uh, I believe it's the Epoch Times and the Jerusalem Post, that nearly half of the um, infirmary patients in Jerusalem folks that have been vaccinated do you think that's that's a one-off or what, what do you make of that so it's interesting um so there's there's some websites out there you can find uh so one namely being well, we're I, talking I, about mainstream publications here we're not talking about uh, alex jones no and so so there so what's interesting about like death rates surrounding the vaccine and covid uh and this is a great question so Unfortunately, we can create some like apples and oranges comparisons. So, for example, it's not uh, what I meant to do. No, 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 no. I realize that. I think I think you are leading and I appreciate that. Um, So it's very easy to come to conclusions of like two week mortality rates after you have a vaccine. So, for example, um, I know someone who told me I'm hesitant to get the vaccine because my elderly aunt in a in a foreign country received the vaccine and then died. Well, uh, you can also look at metadata that shows uh, this specific COVID-19 vaccine or any of the four major vaccines 
that, hey, there's like a 20% spike compared to other vaccines um, in terms of two-week mortality. So like 20% more than every other vaccine, people are dying. Well, what you need to do is dig deeper and realize that, well, <laughs> who are the first people that we vaccinated? The elderly and the sick. Now, this sounds horrible, but what's the control group, right? The control group that to the statistics. What is that? What is the control group? So it's like what we're basing, maybe like what we're, maybe it's not control groups quite the right way to describe it, but like what other statistics are we basing off of the current statistics? Like what are we comparing it to? What we're comparing it to are all of the statistics of all vaccines. And when do we give the most vaccines? When we're babies between zero and five years old. Babies and five-year-olds, like through five, don't die. They just don't because they're young and they're growing. Unfortunately, elderly people pass away at some point. And so that's what's going to skew the statistics. We all because pass away at some point. We all I mean, you pass away. Remember. Yes, we all pass you're, away at some point. You're talking to the walking dead here. I realize Six years that. ago it was me. So, so the, the point is that group of people that are receiving the vac COVID vaccine first are elderly. And the, the rate, the, the mortality rate between that age demographic and then the group that we're sort of comparing it against, the, the, the youth, babies, it's going to be way different. It's going to be, it's going to be way different. So, so th there's, it's not shocking that there's many data sets out there that show mortality rate after COVID vaccines as being way different from other vaccines and immunizations is not really actually that shocking when you think about not. how we rolled this out. It's not, and folks, Nate, Nate is a, a uh, BSN who uh, rather high up at ICU in Denver, so uh, rather a subject matter expert. So I, I ask you this, not snorkely, but given the EUA, the Emergency Youth, Author, Youth Authorization, which even in the VA disclaimers, when they give you the vaccine, says the FDA has not formally approved this, it's been granted, and well, I don't know, contained in the name emergency use authorization okay and moderna in particular has proven quite uh resilient however if the efficacy as we see it via the trial is negative then why is there a need for a say vaccine mandate and i think that's maybe what our our viewer comment was based on mm -hmm. well i'm just extrapolating i'm just kind of sure so um well, that makes sense if, yeah so let's let's uh let's when we're talking about mandates let's separate two mandates so one thing i want to touch on before we move forward with these these two different uh scenarios is that I know as the, the FDA granted this as emergency youth authorization, and we very much are still in an emergency. So the vaccine still 100% falls under its intended use as an emergency measure. Um, I, I think, think that was something, I think it's good to point out. I think that was something that President Trump did right. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, credit due, where is credit due? Well, and um, I'm saying that for his 
Well, but not ours. But also, you know, tell the guy to actually promote that. So it would do him a lot of good. It's a huge missed opportunity. Well, um, and, I, and I want to say this very carefully, but I, I said this at the time, and I don't want it to come off like I wish something ill on someone. But at the time that President Trump came down with it, I thought, I wish that you would get rather sick, not to the point of death, but here's what I thought. He's going to come out of Walter Reed and go, oh holy shit, this is serious, guys. That's what I wanted. <laughs> that did not happen. I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to die. Well, it didn't really happen with Boris Johnson either. It didn't happen with Jair Bolsonaro, and it did, didn't. It was a anyway. It's like a weird public health like anyway. miss. Anyway, um, okay. So it's very much still an emergency. So we're going to talk about let's talk about mask mandates first because that's what the listener wanted to us to address. And I think mask mandates are a lower hanging fruit because I think we can talk about them a little bit more reasonably than we can like you know vaccines start to get into like that fourth amendment and like whether you're now, the beast. you're now being poked with things um i think masks straight up i don't want to be poked <laughs> oh john so <laughs> the the bottom line is masks are proven to work and you could sit here and scream show me the proof you know what, I don't need any more metadata to show that masks work other than, look, the year before, the, the, the flu season before COVID started in October and December of 2019 to 2020, um, I would have a, a percentage of my patients that would come down with influenza. And that was because masks weren't mandated in the clinic and there wasn't a lot of mask use in the community at all. And so we had, we had influenza a lot, and we we vaccinated all of our patients, all of our staff. Okay, well Why? now comes 2019 to 2020. Everyone got the flu vaccine, bar a few folks, and in the fall of 2019, and then we started getting whiffs of COVID around December, January, February, March of 2020. This is the height of flu season. Masks started to be put on in our clinics wholesale, no matter what, around January, February of 2020. You know what we had zero incidents of? The flu. We had zero cases of the flu. So I'm telling you, I don't need metadata to tell me that masks work to spread, to, to halt and decrease the spread of infectious diseases in our droplets, in our aerosol. Masks present masks prevent you from transmitting something correct it decreases the yes they so it does so not prevent you from contracting so, something necessarily so, so and this is interesting right i think a lot that uh, came out you, so there's you see there, the exposition yes. there well okay so what really confused people at the beginning of the pandemic is a there wasn't like a lot of research that I think like a lot of really easily accessible research that showed that masks prevented disease prevention or like had a massive disease prevention. Uh, 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 well, there's a use, difference, right? Though, so in transmissibility and contractibility. Yes. So what really confused people right off the bat was this notion that the research showed that it didn't, it didn't stop you from getting sick, but it, 
kept other people getting for, sick from you. And it was like this, like, wait, what? I, oh, okay, hold on a second. So I can just get easily a sick, you wearing this thing, but right. like, it's just me protecting. It's, it's like I'm protecting the public from me, but I'm getting I'm, no benefit to this. Well, so I totally get how it was so confusing to people. They were like, well, then, then, not, then screw this. I don't want to wear this thing. Break it down. It's not that confusing when you just break it down to you and I, mm-hmm. Nate. Okay, so we it, let, let, let's say we let's say we huddled together miraculously. Scotty beamed me up to Aurora next week. Mm-hmm. We did the podcast. Well, I'm afraid of giving you something, so I'm going to wear a mask so that when I cough or sneeze, you don't get sick. That does not necessarily, however, my personal mask keep me from getting sick from you. Correct. So, yes. So think of the physics. Right. Okay. So. What I want to say is, that is the idea. Yes, from that specific study, that is the correct way to describe that. Now, I don't. I have not. Here's the thing, I have not looked at the literature over the well, last. Shame over, on you. I know over the last six months, but I imagine there's probably more research that's showing that. Hey, look, that was just that study. That study found that conclusion, but like I am imagined, there's a, a wealth of data out there that shows that masks probably also also play a role in preventing you from getting it, right? But if you think about it, what a mask does, like a medical mask, is it sort of diffuses, like when you cough without a mask, everything goes forward and out. But with a mask, it kind of goes out one side, out the other, up and down. There's, there's like all these different places that those droplets can diffuse that it wouldn't, and it, and it slows down the movement of all those droplets. So that's how it sort of prevents your sickness from right. getting to other people. But you're also just breathing in over top of the mask into your nose. But I imagine that what they'll be able to prove is that that barrier, it's take time. it will. But what I imagine they'll probably be able to prove, it's a hypothesis that that mask right around your mouth and underneath your nostrils probably will play a role in protecting you from contracting something. And again, I can only go back to anecdotal experience with the influenza where it's like, look, we put masks on, no one was sick. I mean, and it's well, anecdotal, but what I, what, what I would let, let me bring, so hold on, let me bring this to what our listener wanted us to talk about, and that is mask mandate or not. What I will say is that, especially when we talk about vaccines, there is a component of liberty to, liberty to this, but I just, I, vaccines and masks to me are an apples and oranges comparison because, I mean, I don't want to say they're really apples to oranges. They're the right thing to do, but masks specifically Which are part? what's that mandates vaccine mandates, right? Like that's the right thing to do. Yes. I agree that the solution to what degree to what degree um, that like, all right. So, okay. To the degree, all, wait, wait, here's, so, so here's, here's the, here's how I feel about vac- vaccine mandates. I believe that employers have the right to mandate vaccines for their employees or they can kick sand and go find another job. I believe that the federal government has the authority to make their employees federal government assets for force readiness. That's not what people are worried about. Hold on, hold on, let me finish, let me finish. I believe that they have their right to do that for force readiness, right? I believe that the DOD has the right to make sure that their Assets and their forces are mission ready at all times. And right now being COVID vaccinated is one of those mission readiness essentials. Okay. Businesses 
Their mission is to make profits for their shareholders if you, if you subscribe to Milton Friedman. What? Oh my God. Okay, so if you subscribe to that and your company is there to make profit, then you need a ready workforce. So you mandate a vaccine so that you don't have COVID run through okay. your facility and make you unproductive, okay? So, let me let me break okay. this down on, the, on an everyday level. Okay. And you All just right. answer this. Okay. You just answer this. All right, okay. This, this is an alley-oop. You either block the shot or you dunk it in. Okay, oh Do boy, it's a lot of pressure. Okay, so Happy Valley, Pennsylvania State University, home football game, the New Orleans Saints, the Louisiana Superdome, Can you, I mean, forget enforcement, which to me would be virtually impossible, but do you think that that's appropriate to say, if you don't have a vaccine, you're not going to see the Nittany Lions play, you're not going to see the Saints play? Mm. Fourth Amendment or not? Okay, well... Let me, let me uh, while, you, while I buy time to figure out how I'm going to uh, respond to this, I want to ask you, how do you feel about everything I said about all of those entities being able to mandate vaccines for their employees? Or their... Well, I, believe in the, uh, I believe in laissez-faire in terms of private enterprise. Let's say it was okay. Mod State headquarters. Let's say you and I met, and we met with the people that own bonds in Divinity Will Unlimited, and... We came to a consensus and said, look, you can work remotely, but if you're going to come and work in these headquarters and use our technological advances, we, advantages we offer you, then... Okay, you're so, so that by virtue, the Nittany Lions have a, uh, or the, the management and the leadership of those uh, um, academic or, excuse me, athletic, um, uh, athletic directors, et cetera, um, let's just say they have a, uh, uh, like a, uh, they have a responsibility to their students to protect their students, and also the alumni that uh, is there, which also from not only just a public health perspective, also a financial perspective as well. To be, you need people to be able to right. help generate revenue and, and and build the endowment. So you're going to shut things down for a little bit. And it sucks, but you know, um, well, I think there's or, a distinction. Or, or, or we mandate that because we want to make sure that, again, masks and both vaccines are scientifically proven to reduce the severity of the disease and spread the disease, used in combination, of course. Um, we, that's very proven to be the, the way forward. And, I if, think there was and, an and hold on, if you, if you don't have students or alumni that are willing to abide by those rules, then, I mean, that sucks, but like, that's just what we have to do to protect our interests as an institution. And that's what institutions are doing, like private business and corporate business and government assets. When you think of it from a productivity standpoint, it's hard for me to figure out why GOP and conservatives are so against these type of mandates to move to move our economy forward. Especially I think it's a little broader than that. I mean, I, I think it's one thing for, say, Mod State to do that um, because you, at will, as we call it in Louisiana, at will, you're an employee slash employed by Divinity Will Unlimited. That's, that's one conversation. On the other hand, you, you have a, a 
the world's uh, largest private endowment public university, the world's largest alumni uh, body of any university, including the Ivy League. It's, it's quite a different matter than, say, to say a 30-plus uh, year season ticket holder in the New Orleans Saints, no matter if you're vaccinated and or wear a mask, doesn't matter. You can't come to a game. Well, there's got to be some sort of balance here, and I'm not sure quite what it is. I don't have all the answers, but there's got to be some sort of balance in that disease will always be a part of any uh, organic life form. Okay, so at what point do we say, ah, there is no risk. You can all come to a Saints game. You can all come to a Nittany Lions game. You see what I'm driving at? Like at what yeah, point, like, but metric so, is so it's, it I mean, it's, it's a really good question, but I think... What, what metric is appropriate, though? Okay. Oh, well, it's only well, at 0.1% efficacy. Uh, exactly. So it's kind of like uh, the person that is hesitant to get the vaccine because... They just haven't really seen the right. data. It's you the haven't inverse. seen the data yet. We just need to it's give it inverse. more time. And I ask those people the same question. I say, so what is it exactly is your end goal that you're looking for, right? So you have to be able, like, what is it we're actually looking for in a year or two years? What, what you need to be able to define what is safe for you. And I think it, it is similar to... Uh, institutions making these decisions as well in terms of uh what looks right for us at this given moment in terms of the safety of our constituency and our customers and our workforce is it does it are we running the risk of creating more economic damage by destroying and making our city look like a hot spot because we just really really wanted to watch football and i realized that do you think it's that, Nate, or is I mean, there a certain amount of virtue signaling going on here? Uh, dude, I mean, that's not for me to decide. But well, I, what do you but think? Look, I'm not asking you to decide. Look, man, if it's virtual signal, if it's virtual, if it's virtue signaling or not, the reality is we are. I don't under, want to hear about Ron DeSantis. Hold, hold on, hold on. No, listen. If even if it's virtual virtue signaling, <laughs> that area of the world right now has the most crazy amount of caseloads of COVID. Well, I brought up Pennsylvania. And so, and so, which is fine, but we're talking about the Saints right now. So if someone just stopped football in New Orleans for the season, maybe the well, New Orleans... You better roll up the sidewalk. Listen, maybe the Saints get to play, but no one can go. Even like if that's... Listen, even if that's virtue signaling, like it's not... It's not like a horrible solution to the tragedy that is happening in that area of the world right now okay louisiana mississippi florida texas have no more icu beds like if if they just didn't have football it would actually stop the spread whether you like it or not it would reduce the spread of covid and whatever well, variant comes next, it would. And I'm not saying you're and I'm wrong. Not, it's not. I'm not saying that I hate football. That's not my point. My point that's is like that's it. just the reality. That's the objective truth. That what that's what would happen. Here's here's where my question comes in, though, because I've gotten this ad nauseum from folks. Is okay. So what metric is the perfect ah? We can go watch a Saints game metric. When you've got a mayor who I'm pretty convinced she's Latoya is going to be a one-term mayor. Um, when you've got a mayor that says, doesn't matter if you wear a mask and have a vaccine, can't go to a game. 
So I'm sorry they mocked Marco Rubio for saying this, Senator Rubio, but does that not disincentivize folks from wanting to get the, mac- the vaccine? If I get the vaccine and I still can't participate in the things I want to participate in, then why in the hell should I cooperate? I mean, do you not see the logic there? Look, I'm not going to say that every regional leader is going to have the right solution at all times. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm asking you. Well, yeah, I think. Do you not see the logic in what he asked? Look, I get it. Like, I'm. No, you don't like Marco Rubio. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, look. I would, I, in, if I was the leader in this situation, I'd probably be far more diplomatic than I'm being right now. But the reality is, whether you, <laughs> disincentivizing or not, I think probably what would actually happen is, which, what, what I would hope would happen, is it actually would just be an incentive to get it and just move on. Right, right. So but like, that's not what I asked you. But, that's not what I asked you. What I asked you is like extrapolating upon what extrapolating on what Senator Rubio asked. We're talking about people that are being told whether you're vaxxed or not, it doesn't matter. You can't participate. Yeah, but but that's so then why in the hell should I get vaxxed? Yeah, but that's I'm I think, vaxxed. I think me it's, personally. I think that I think that confusion, like, well, why should I do it? Is very I think it's very short sighted, right? Because that means, because yes, because it means just right now, this is what we okay, can't do. That, that, whether whether you're vaccinated or not is like, we just can't do that right now. You've done the right, you've done earlier, the right Nate. thing. You've done the right thing, but we just can't do it right now. But thank you that's for doing it. You, We're going to get more of your friends and more of your family on board with this. And then we'll all be able to do it. Right? That's and, what I'm asking right? you, though, okay. where I'm getting across the board is, okay, so what is the metric? The okay. metric, listen, the metric. 69%? I've got an easy metric. I've got an easy metric. Everybody? Well, no. good luck with that. No, no, I've got an easy metric. Everyone can relate to this metric because it's not, you don't have to quantify anything, okay? Listen. Well, the that's met- no, the basis no, hold on, hold on, of the metric hold on. is being able to quantify okay. it, Nate. Well, but it's easy to quantify, okay? Think this. Okay. We are back to normal when our medical system is back to pre-pandemic normal. That's never going to happen, Nate. That is never going to happen. Okay. We're never going back to 2019. Okay. Ever. So, so let, me, let, me, let me modify it. The world it. has changed forever. Yes. So, but... We are currently living in an environment where there are no more ICU beds. There is no more pediatric ICU beds in Dallas. So the metric that I'm asking people to strive to is something close to a pre-pandemic healthcare system where we weren't shutting down all the time That's because of these spikes. No, but it's That's a not a metric. It's That's a, an ideal. But yes, and that's easier to grasp. Which is why I'm not saying 70% herd immunity because I don't know what 70% herd immunity is. What I do know is a healthcare system that isn't absolutely overloaded at every moment, at every week of this pandemic. So you can be able to think. We're talking past each other here. No, dude. You're asking at what point is it like, hey, what do you, what's your metric for going back to the Saints game if you're vaccinated and you're masked? If you can't provide one. Yes, I can, I can provide context to what that looks like. I'm not going to tell you it's 70% herd immunity. I don't know. But what I can say is ideally what that looks like is that because it's like what, 
what is the metric? What is it? What is it? I'm like, okay, it's a healthcare system that can adequately serve all members of its community, not just overwhelmingly one, and that is COVID patients. And that's what's happening in the South right now. Okay, you realize what people are going to draw from this conversation that are not leftist right? They're going to draw from this that what you're getting at is an across-the-board public health system. That's what you're grasping at is power. What? No, that's what they're going to take from it. I'm not saying that. No, what I'm saying that's is a cr- that's what no, gonna, that's well. It, you can't provide a metric except power. What are you talking about? Not at all. I'm saying even no, like for-profit healthcare. Semantics. Hold on. You're no, absolutely not. I'm talking about every for-profit healthcare system in the United States not being overwhelmed by one. That's an ideal. No, hold on. I want, I think a metric, a metric means that a percentage, average percentage of hospital beds. Number. Okay, hold on. Oh, I'm sorry, because our, our listenership is so smart. We need to talk numbers, not ideals. Uh, what I would like to see. All right, smart ass. That's not what I meant. Hold on. Go ahead. No, hold on. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let's, let's move past ideals. Let's quantify this. I would like to see the percentage, the national average percentage of hospital beds in the United States holding COVID patients to be like a minuscule percentage of the amount of people that are occupying beds in for-profit, non-profit, and VA hospitals. Right now, the reality is the percentage of hospital beds being occupied by one disease, COVID-19, is astronomical. And what looks right for a population to be able to then take off masks, all this stuff intermingle is a healthcare system where we can equitably take care of all diseases and all issues that people have, okay. right? And, That's, and, who, and who dictates those edicts, Nate? Dr. Fauci? There's, no one has to dictate those edicts. It is just what- Somebody's going to, you, Nate, you have no, to have a John, standard no, in no, order to John. enforce- John, there's Nate, no one needs Nate, to mandate. There's no getting around this. John, you must have a standard in order to enforce this. Who's going to decide that? Who's going to decide? Hey, it's now safe. Da 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 da. Yeah, to go think, to a Penn State I game. Think any, I don't think anyone has to decide that. I think it I think it can be a recommendation the CDC puts out and be like, hey, look, it's safe. Listen, okay. Let's say there's no Penn State. So you don't hold, see hold it all. Hold, no, what I'm getting at no, I do. here, John. Listen. Let's say, look, I don't, don't put no, me in a mold like I'm well, Alex Jones okay. here. No, no, I'm not. Hold on. Listen to me though. So I'm going to, I'm going to propose this real quick. So it's, um, it's game day at Penn state. Okay. There's going to be 110,000 people max record in the stadium. Cause that's a big ass stadium. So the public health department, the athletic director, the board of directors gets together. It's 2021, the opening day, or we're, we're approaching opening day of football season, and they go, okay, public health directors, should we do this? Should we let 110,000 people all mingle in one spot while the Delta variant is like fully immersing certain regions in the United States? Okay, so the, the public health directors... And uh, community partners are like, okay, well, how do, we, how do we decide whether or not this is a good idea? What, how do we decide whether or not the people in our local community, our students, our alumni, our citizens of this city, um, how do we decide whether or not it's the right decision to 
let everyone meet with 110,000 people, nose to nose, nuts to butts, screaming, drinking, having a great time. Is this the right thing? Okay, so. Because God forbid the people get to decide Okay, all right. But again, there's why we have leaders sometimes, okay? They got to make tough decisions. So work Who with can't me. pass a budget? Those same hold, people. Hold on, John. Let me let me work with me for a second, okay? You're hearing me though, because you're responding. I'm hearing you. Okay. I'm hearing you. So the public health department goes, and and then all the hospital community partners, et cetera, are like, well, um, so the leader of this meeting looks to the to the the healthcare community and says, how are you guys doing? And all of the hospital leaders are like, well, you know, um. It's crazy. Our ICUs don't, aren't, we, we kind of shut down one of our COVID wards. We don't have a lot of COVID going on. Uh, we're able to, to take care of other people in the community, uh, like uh, elderly cardiac patients. We're, we're seeing the disease uh, prevalence uh, sort of equalize. We're getting our, we're normalizing again. You know, I think the community is doing a great job. I think there's low transmission in the community. And uh, the public health department's like, yeah, we actually are, we, we've got X amount of, of herd, Im- we've got X amount of immunity in the community. I think it's safe to do this. I think, I think it's safe to have people come in and, and do this. I think, it's, I think it will be the right thing for a community and I'm really happy that it can happen. Okay, so on the flip side, um, let's, let's a different scenario. They meet and <clears throat> the board of directors, the athletic department, look at this panel and they're like, hey, should we do this? 110,000 people <laughs> next weekend. And the community health partners, the hospital CEOs and CNOs and CMOs, that's chief medical officers are like, look, we are hemorrhaging COVID patients right now. We have so many cases of COVID that were ambulances are like backed up down the road and people are dying in the parking lot. It's there is no more pediatric ICU beds. Kids are back at school. There's no masks. Like, like kids can't even, there's no more elective surgeries. Please do not have an event where 110,000 people are nut to butt face-to-face screaming, drinking alcohol, and watching football. That would be the worst idea for the community. We're not really quantifying anything. But the point is, those leaders would have access to that intelligence and that type of information that the average citizen might not. And so given the fact that they have that information, they can make the decision like, hey, you know what? Louisiana and New Orleans ain't in the right place right now to start having 60,000 people meeting in one spot. And it sucks. But I've seen it and I'm the leader and I need to make the decision and it's not going to be popular. And if it means that it's one term for me, then so be it. I saved lives. And it could be virtue signaling or it could be genuine concern for what it could, could be, happen to their constituency. That's, that's kind of where my issue comes in because who then picks up, who takes the fall financially? Well, guess what? Da-da-da-da. It's the American taxpayer. So then we got to spend more money in stimulus. I mean, that's the question that I'm getting at here. But as an economist, John, as an economist, at at what point is like the financial economic toll of its constituents and the medical bills in the community and all that stuff because of this horrific disease sort of net out? Like, will we open the economy and we're back to work? And you know what? Therein lies the problem. I don't presume to have an an X, Y, A plus B equals C. C answer here. 
What I do know is we cannot forever, five years from now, go, well, you know, there's still this disease going on here. Well, okay, at some point, so we then, need to break so, it. So, so hold on. So I'm going to ask we you have a question. Have tax revenue. We cannot have fiat currency created ad nauseum forever. Okay. So then so what, that's what's, my problem that I raised to you. So, is what's, that there's so I, answered, I feel like I answered your question really well. To a certain degree, you did. Yeah. There's still no metric, but go ahead. I mean, it was about as, I think, I think it's the most palatable, digestible. Your answer is there is no metric. Mm, but no, there's a, there's there a, is no metric. No, Nate. there's a, there is a, I think you could apply. So what makes us feel good about that? You certainly metric. could apply percentages. Well, I mean, I did say you could apply percentages to it, like a yeah, percentage yeah. of. Okay, but there's no percentage that's going to make you feel good about it is my point. No, okay, you're talking about say, what makes said, you feel safe. I said, I said the ability to have emergencies at, at like. Well, the, first of all, the problem is that people use the ER for things it's not meant to be used for. Oh, well, are we going to talk about universal health care? Well, you know that's the case. Ooh, are we going to talk about universal health care? Well, I referenced Ooh. it earlier. That's where this is leading. Well, we're, we can solve this we're, we're, by expanding federal power exponentially. Well, we're working into our second hour. I think. I think at this point, uh, I feel like there is no metric. That's the bottom line here. It's all about what Aunt Sam says is okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to quantify what I'm talking Please about. Please do. I, you're not going to be able to. No, because I think, I think we, it will. We will be sitting here five years from now at this rate. Where if Aunt Sam doesn't check off on it and say, ah, this is allowed, because I hate to break it to the folks at, at Foggy Bottom, but there are Americans out here with real jobs that they got to work. John, I think, John, I, I think I'm going to be able to Don't quantify it. like one of them, okay? Look, I'm not a great mathematician, but I'm like pretty convinced I can quantify what like a good healthcare system looks like in a community. In terms I'm of, pretty sure you can, I'm but pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, sure I can quantify, quantify like a healthy. You can't quantify think, though what's going to make nah, bro, you're not going to be able to quantify. Dude, dude, I think, what's like, be able, I'm so happy about this because I think I can quantify the correlation between COVID cases in a hospital to community health, and then how to be able to make decisions. Dude, this could be my thesis. I'm I should sure go with my PhD can. right now. I Nate, think, bro, please do. You, please you have enlightened it. me. I'm so far ahead of this conversation. I know you're right mocking now. me, but I appreciate it. No, I'm not. But I, I, you're not going to be able to quantify it for the folks, though. I'm sorry. Dude, I think I can. At no point are you going to be able to quantify. They're like, ah, you know what? It's 67.2% instead of 673 So you can go to a Saints game. It sounds stupid yeah, to no, folks. But I out think there. you could. I think you can make like a, a meter level. Like I, I think there's a way to quantify whether or not whether or not it's safe to gather. I think there's so much data that you could make predictive analytics that say whether it's safe to gather in a group of Unless ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty. Unless it's at the Catholic Church, then we got to ban that. You know, bro. I think I, have okay. like, I think we have a biz I think we have another business plan. We need to we need to cut this off because we need to talk about like a business plan on how to. Bring this idea of predictive analytics. On I'm all not... about it. I know you're mocking me right now. I'm but totally hey, not mocking I... you. I'm Part really... of it is I'm espousing feedback we've gotten because, look, I'm a laissez-faire person. You want to know my theme song for this? Live... Cue up Sir Paul McCartney from uh, James Bond, Live and Let, Let Die. Let... Oh, Live and Let Die. Yeah. That's, that, that's me. Yeah, okay. I think it's a terrible idea. But – Okay, but therein lies the problem that I just referenced. The ER is used for things it was never intended to be used for. Mm -hmm. 
Day. Which is great. We could if that would be great if we went back to that. I am not gonna feed into your nonsense. About everyone who has COVID coming in. All right, look. Hey, we, look, I, I'm all about a public option. Okay. Just bro. because Richard Nixon espoused universal health care, not once but twice. I think you're gonna come around. I think you're gonna come around to my like metric when because I, of Dick Nixon. When I quantify it, you're gonna be like, Oh bro, that was brilliant. See, that was your chance to be like, hey, but Nixon Care 1 and Nixon Care 2, and you didn't take it. I'm disappointed. No, I'm I'm just so, like, I'm so pumped about trying to figure out how to quantify this. Hey, and I'm actually very proud of the fact that I did arduously, adamantly defend Speaker Pelosi, and I stand by it. Good. I'm glad. Look, we are, I'm, I'm glad we did this. This was a great, great episode. No, it was, it was sexy. I hope that, uh, I hope our listener, Desure, uh, got more than what they wanted in terms of what we felt like with mandates. I'm maybe, pretty sure they did. Uh, maybe. Or they're like, I'm never listening again and commenting. But <laughs> I'm pretty they, sure they will. Hopefully they listened this far. Uh, but. Um, at what point, at what metric do you think they quit? <laughs> well, let me give you a non-quantifiable thing here. Here's. No. Yeah. All right. Look, as, as always, man, it's an honor and a, a privilege to do this. Uh, I love you, man. Bi-weekly, monthly, whenever we get to it. Yearly. Um, yearly. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 an amazing thing. And uh, ultimately, you know what? Until next time. Au revoir. We'll see you.